Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Fantasy and Adventure, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. This is your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the historical Fantasy Falcon series and Girl of Fire, the first in a YA fantasy series. My April interview is with Karen Lansman, author of The Heart of the Circle. Karen is a medical doctor and epidemiologist in Israel. She was able to find time to do this interview back in March. I hold Karen and all the other healthcare personnel combating corona in my thoughts. After the crisis, you'll find her on Facebook, Karen Lansman. Her last name is spelled L-A-N-D-S-M-A-N. She's on Twitter at Smallweed. The Heart of the Circle was the winner of the Geffen Award for Best SFF Novel in 2019. My review follows. Reed Katz is in many ways an ordinary guy. He shares an apartment in Tel Aviv with his best friend Daphne, works in a coffee shop, crushes on Lee, a green-eyed man from abroad, and dreads family dinners with his nosy mother. Yet, when Reed gets on a bus, he has to stand in a white-marked section, and he loses his job when a coffee shop gets bombed because of, quote, people like him. Not only is Reed a person who feels emotions strongly, he's actually an empath who can manipulate other people's emotions, preferably at their invitation, and project feelings into books. His circle of friends include a seer, Daphne, and his ex, a pyro. They're all considered sorcerers and feared by most norms. A secretive group, the Sons of Simeon, disrupt the peaceful marches that Reed and his friends participate in, targeting sorcerers for murder in a bid to take power for themselves. Daphne fears that Reed's continuing presence in the movement will put him in harm's way. Her visions tell her that Reed may die soon. But Reed, understanding that his survival may create a future in which someone else dies in his place, seems set upon his path. Not even a scorching love affair with Lee can convince him to step aside and let that happen. Now for a short reading. The Day After the Murder We sat in a circle at the basement. The food sucks. The alcohol selection leaves much to be desired. But there are books lining every inch of the walls, the smell of wood, and music you don't have to scream over to have a conversation. We were sheltered from the outside world, with only familiar faces around us. It was hot and damp, typical for mid-July. The air conditioner, powerless against a room packed with people wearing sullen pouts. We sat on a side couch next to the shelves crammed with books, sock puppets, and burned-out candles. My shirt was sticking to my back. 
Daphne placed her head on my shoulder, and I sniffed her curls. I wrapped my arm around her, letting her nestle in my embrace. They were all so sad, everyone saying, we have to stop the next murder, but no one had any ideas. I was drained of tears. Rhyming chants from the high schoolers' protest on the street above us infiltrated the pub between songs. They're going to get their asses kicked, someone behind me said. They have to learn to fend for themselves, came a reply. I stopped listening. Your curls are tickling me, I said to Daphne. She hugged me, looked up, and said, One day your beard will tickle me. Oh, the first murder was agonizing. Incessant tears, self-blame. It took some time to realize we couldn't have stopped it, that none of us could have changed what had happened. We have since developed a routine. Getting out of the house helps. Being around people helps even more. I touched my chin. Beards itch. Letting out a sound between a laugh and a sob, she lowered her head back onto my shoulder. Her curls got into my nose again. I stroked her hair without saying a word. This time, we didn't know the murdered girl. A photo of her was placed on a bar top next to all the other photos, surrounded by little candles. The faces in the various photos began to blend together. They were all smiling at the camera, heads aslant with mischievous expressions that made them look younger than they really were, all against a slightly bird background, brown eyes, black eyes, blue eyes, hair in different colors, different styles, men, women, When the first murder happened, we cried for a week in the city square, refusing to leave until the prime minister promised she would personally investigate. After the second murder, our tears were silent. The third, we stopped crying. Hi, Karen, and thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Sure, my pleasure. So let's jump right into your world and alternate kind of Israel. Um, In this world, how many kinds of sorcerers are there and what nicknames do they have? Okay, so this is a bit of a trick question since I wrote the book in Hebrew. So I'm translating it right now in my head from Hebrew to English. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We have two kinds of sorcerers. We have uh, those who can change the future and manipulate time and empaths who can influence the soul. And we have the materialists, um, sorcerers who can manipulate uh, fire, earth, water and air. And they can the, the different powers influence the way they perceive the world the world the way they interact with each other the way they interact with other sorcerers as well so some of them have nicknames like pebbles and pyros sounds like a band pebbles and pyros <laughs> yeah the nicknames were um the nicknames are were a, a late addition to the book. I mean, before it was published, obviously, but in the editing process, in the beginning, they all had like fire sorcerers and, you know, air 
sorcerers. And then my editor told me, you know, nobody is going to use those. You have to have nicknames. And that just immediately clicked in. And uh, there's this one of the scenes that I like most in the book is when uh, two sorcerers from two different cultures compare the different nicknames for different powers, because you have different nicknames, you have different slang in different countries. Yes, I like that, too, because uh, in your book, sorcery is spread throughout the world. There are sorcerers in Russia, in the USA, and in Israel, for instance. And tell us a little bit about how life is different in each of those countries. Okay, so I, I'm a bit... I need to remember what I said in this book and what's only left on my background. You know, you have this huge file mm-hmm. back that never goes in the book. So if I'm spoiling a bit, I'm sorry. But I promise you it's part of the world. Um, so the basic concept is that sorcerers were sometimes persecuted, not always. Um, and different societies treat their sorcerers differently. So in uh, in Israel, they are sort of free, but are bound by many laws and um, they can walk the street, but they have different entrances and different tables and not everybody wants to sit with them. Um, in the States, it's completely different. They have reservations and I was very uh, conscious about putting the reservations in because I know it's part of the U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, whereas in Ru- Russia is still the Soviet Union um, due to many, many historical events that are very, uh, you know, they're very detailed in the file that was never, never made it to the book <laughs> about the, the history of the Soviet Union. But uh, their sorcerers are bound by the um, by the government and they are completely loyal to the government and they are being very um, they're, they're maltreated. Somehow, yeah, it sounds like uh, life in Russia isn't that great for the sorcerers either. <laughs> so life, life for sorcerers are not great anywhere in the world that is described in the book, um, because when you are a part of a small group of a minority group, um, a lot of time you are being mistreated. And this, I mean, in the book, I mean, it is a f- urban fantasy and sorcery and everything. But what I really wanted to talk about is social issues. And I wanted to talk about, I wanted to discuss how you treat minorities and how you treat minorities, not necessarily um, even in like in a most liberal country where you think you have equal rights, but not really. It's never, never really equal. Um, so sorcery is just in some, in partly it's it's a metaphor to how we treat minorities. A lot of people enjoyed that about your book and picked up on it. That it's about social issues. People really like that mm, because I think we cannot turn our backs to minorities, and I think it's our obligation to do what we can to make this world a better place for everyone. Mm-hmm. And just to complete what I want to say before is that um, there's nowhere in the world that I know of minorities are treated as well as the majority. So this is what made it eventually to the book, where it doesn't matter where you are, it's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrible in one way or in a different way. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. (laughs) 
So there are sorcerers working for this other terrorist group, the Sons of Simon. What are their goals, and how do these goals impact Reed and his friends? Okay, so the Sons of Siemens are influenced, I mean, it's not a real group, obviously, but it's influenced by uh, a few different groups in, uh, in, in our history, in, in Israel's history and in uh, Judaism history. Um, and you start the book thinking the Sons of Siemens hates all sorcerers, therefore there are no sorcerers there. And then later in the book, you find out that there are sorcerers among the Sons of Siemens. And... Um, you're supposed to ask yourself, why are they cooperating with people who want to annihilate them? And unfortunately, we see that a lot because sometimes when you are so oppressed, you think that the only way out is to cooperate with your oppressor. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to, you know, there are many, many, many uh, examples in history where you see people join forces against their own people just to survive, just because they sometimes they just to survive, sometimes because they actually believe that it might be a better place for them and for their, you know, kids. Um, I'm trying very hard not to spoil everything. <laughs> so You're I don't not know. spoiling it. Okay, so... Um, the thing is that that this struggle, I, I, it was very important to me to show that every side of the struggle have their own reasons. And you should, I, if I did a good job, <laughs> you should be able to find yourself in each side of the struggle. Um, because sometimes it does look like a good idea to cooperate with the people who are in charge. Sometimes it does look like a good idea to cooperate with people who have force and for Reed and his friends um, it's very obvious to them I mean what their ideology is like they it's very obvious to them who is right and who's wrong but it shouldn't be that obvious to you as a reader Mm -hmm. I mean for the reader it should be complicated to see who's right and who's wrong and 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 some at some point to say you know what they might actually have a point. You may have a better life if there were no sorcerers around. Just for a second. It should be there and then go away because, you know. <laughs> because Reed and his friends are cool. <laughs> yeah, because we love Reed because he's awesome. And yeah. we all to have him over for tea and cookies. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some of the sorcerers take the drug called neutral. What is yeah. that and why would someone use it? Okay, so again, this goes back to how you, do you deal with having powers and being oppressed because of them. And one of the way to blend in is to pretend like you're not that different. Uh, so neutral, what it does is that it blocks the way that sorcery works. And again, in the huge file, in the background file, it's there, all the explanation, including how autoimmune diseases work. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, thank you. I've always wondered uh, how autoimmune diseases work. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, because, uh, you know, you have to have biological explanation to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't worry, it's not in the book. You don't have to read about autoimmunology or immunology at all to understand the book. But uh, what neutral does is it blocks the way sorcery works. It, wor- it blocks the way the sorcerer uses their sorcery in order to influence the world around them. So they cannot use their powers 
and they cannot influence the world and they can pretend like they're one, like they're normal. They can pre- pretend like they're, you know, regular people. And it's almost magical to some of them. And we, I, I think we all know that. I mean, when you go to, 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 when you try to just blend in the crowd, not to be noticed. Um, and uh, one of the things the Sons of Simmons actually offer to sorcerers is to tell them, you know what? If you do what we tell you, you can be one of everyone. You can be just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. So that's the appeal of it. it is you feel like you would be accepted by society because your powers would no lo- would not be usable at that moment. Yep. Well, there are other drugs besides neutral too. Uh, we've got Lee, Reed's love interest, and he uses arcane drugs such as salvia divinorum. And what do they help him do? Okay, so the drug research was one of my favorite things to research while I did the book because I'm, um, we actually have a word for it in Hebrew. I, I'm not sure I know what it is in English, but I've never did anything. I mean, I, I don't, I, I drink beer. So I had to research everything to, and, and, you know, go to YouTube and watch people who use different kinds of drugs so I can use that. But I, Lee has to use drugs. It's one of his uh, his way to escape reality. Uh, and the thing is that he's an empath. I mean, he is a sorcerer. Drugs don't just influence him. They make him, um, they, they enable him to do things he wouldn't have done without them. So he can use the material itself to influence someone else. He can use what he experiences and and do it to someone else. And it's an awesome thing. And it's, in, it's incredibly terrifying uh, at the same time. So people can get a contact high off of Lee, so to say. That's yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yep. Secondhand drug using. <laughs> so speaking of uh, Lee and Reed, you chose to portray a male gay couple. And what led to that decision, and did you find it a challenge? Um, it was very challenging, um, but so it's a, a it's a bit of a sad story, and I I, I apologize in advance. I started re- writing this book uh, with the person who started our writing group many 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 years ago. Um, he was a very good friend, and I started writing this book, writing him a boyfriend, oh. basically. Yeah. You didn't have a boyfriend, so you made him uh, one. Yeah, I had to. Well, yeah, because I tried to introduce him to some of my friends and nothing clicked. So I uh-huh. wrote him a boyfriend. And uh, he always teased me about it that Reed is too short for him and Lee's smoking and he wouldn't date a smoker. And he read the book and he made a lot of comments about their relationship. Um, everything in it that has to do with relationship that looks, you know, real and understandable and relatable. It's a lot, a lot came from him. And uh, he, so I, I never made an actual, uh, you know, rational decision. I'm going to write a gay couple. I just wanted to write him a boyfriend. So obviously, uh, and he had to be gay. And, um, and then, then three years ago he died and he died 
a week before I got a yes from the publishing house who published The Heart of the Circle eventually. And uh, so whenever somebody asks me, why did I write a gay man? This is why. And I am sorry. And I still remember him. And his, uh, his absence is very well noticed. Well, you had your own sensitivity reading readers, so okay. to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> Wouldn't have tried it if I didn't. <laughs> well, uh, I, think, I think it's very important when you write about someone who is different from you, you have to have sensitivity readers. Otherwise, I mean, you could. I actually have a few pits there, which I didn't know that I needed readers for. And I already asked them to read my next books to make sure I don't fall in those again. Oh, okay. Uh, Lee and Reed as sorcerers, as empaths, how would you characterize their relationship when they do get involved? Oh, they're cute. <laughs> Is cute a good, I don't know. Um. <laughs> it's a very, well, may I say it's a very emotional relationship. So, you know, tell people what it's like to have two empaths in a relationship. What would that feel like? So uh, one of the th first things, uh, there's a scene right in the beginning where Lee asks uh, Reed to go out with him. And Reed says, do you want to go on a date? And, Reed, and Lee says, no, we'll just, you know, it would be too depressing for both of us to be in the same place in the same time because empaths together. It's obviously very depressing. And uh, one of my favorite parts was to show Lee that he can be depressed with someone and to show Reed that he can be vulnerable with someone because I think one of the most important things about relationships in real life, not just in books, is that you can fall apart with someone who will keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And I tried to show that in this, in their relationship and actually in all of the relationships there. I mean, Reed and his best friend, Reed and his brother, I tried to show different aspects of that concept of feeling safe in a relationship and being loved, even though you have, you know, your moments of total breakdown. Or even though you like really bad TV shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and movies. Yes. <laughs> I think I, I just, uh, there's a part in the end where Reed goes like, I hate everything that Lee likes, all of his music, <laughs> all of his books. I, I hate everything. <laughs> and it's actually based on a real life experience because um, my uh, my husband is, his musical taste is complete opposite of mine. And I remember going over his CDs when we just met, which was, you know, in the previous millennia when we still used CDs. And I was mm -hmm. like, I don't like this one. I don't like this one as well. This is terrible. Why are you listening to this? I mean. Well, in addition to uh, listening to music and watching movies together, or sometimes I think eating pizza, Lee and Reed and the other friends also sometimes play games. And uh, I was intrigued by a game you describe in Chapter 16. I thought it was interesting because you yourself, as well as being an author or a medical doctor, who's worked for an NGO in Sudan and helped mm -hmm. underserved populations in Israel. And it seemed like that influenced the card game that you introduced. Tell us a little bit about that card game. About privilege? Yes, I thought that was great. 
I thank you. I loved it. I so <laughs> um privilege is a game. It's a made up game in my head. I really really wanted to make it real, uh but it, it never came to it. It's a game where your ability to be to advance in the game to win is to gain as many privileges as you can. So if you start as a white male heterosis Male, you win. I mean, there's almost no way to beat you. Whereas if you start as underprivileged person of color, you know, um, you're losing points when you just start. And um, it's one of my favorite games. <laughs> I really want to play it. <laughs> Though I feel like it would make a lot of people very, very angry just if it hits the street. Um, you could make index cards and then ask your – I'm sure you have so much time between – being married and working as a doctor and working for NGOs and writing. <laughs> you could make a game with index cards and have your friends play with you. I just, I, <laughs> oh yeah, why not? Instead of playing cards against humanity, we can play privilege. Why not? <laughs> well, I know you do keep very busy. Uh, tell us what you're working on now as far as your writing goes. Um, so I have a few things right now working on as we speak. So one of them is a birthday gift to a friend of mine, my very best friend. Uh, every birthday I write her a story. So I'm working on that. It's like um, science fiction, pulp, 50s cent story. Um, and I just finished book two, the continuation of Heart of the Circle, and it's waiting to be edited. So we're in the line of the editing process. Mm -hmm. And the last thing is a new, really, really new book. It's a, an Israeli uh, steampunk book. And I have people with wings in there. I hope they'll make the editing process. <laughs> well, you never know with the editors, right? When is yeah. your... When is your follow-up uh, for The Heart of the Circle coming out, do you think? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I would have said we might start working on it on April, but um, I'm an, as, as you mentioned, I'm an epidemiologist, and all I do right now is 14 hours a day working mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. new virus. Um, so that takes all of my time. Every all, Most of my writing today are emails and procedures and, you know, follow-ups on patients, those kind of things. So um, unfortunately, the, the heart of circle two uh, will have to wait a little bit. Well, until yes. Bigger uh, things. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for taking time out of your weekend to talk with us today, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Good. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us today in the New Books Network Fantasy and Adventure Channel. I've been talking to Kieran Lansman about the Heart of the Circle, an alternate reality fantasy set in Israel. Join us in May when I chat with F.M. Hardy, the author of the mystery ghost story, The Evil Within. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the YA fantasy Girl of Fire, the first in the Baroness Quest series. You'll find the podcast schedule on my website, gabriellematthew.com. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more, at Gabrielle Author. And in case you're wondering how to spell my name, 
It's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E. Goodbye for now.